0: wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. One of C.S. Lewis's early short stories that he wrote is called Light, or also known as a man born blind. And in this story, there's a man who was blind from birth, but he was able to have a procedure that enabled him to see. So as he's home, waiting for his first walk, it had had to be a few days before he could take the bandages off of his eyes, and he's contemplating what it's gonna be like to see light. And he just can't get over this idea of light, and he's trying to figure out what that's gonna be and understand what that is. So he asks his wife, where is the light? And she says, well, there's this lamp and, and it's got a light bulb, but yet the light is all around us. And she's kind of having a hard time explaining exactly what light is. And and as he starts to be able to see, he he goes out and he meets an artist who says he's trying to catch the light and, and he points out the sun shining on this fog and mist and just the beauty of that light. But the man is just getting so frustrated because he can't understand what light is, and he feels like everyone around him really doesn't know what it is either, but eventually he realizes that the light is not the thing that you see, but it's by the light that we see everything else. So what we've been exploring in this current sermon series, the gospel of the kingdom, is the gospel story. And we're learning how that is the thing by which we see all of life. So we're learning how to live in light of the gospel. Leslie Newbegin was a British theologian and missiologist, and he says, The Christian story provides us with such a set of lenses, not something for us to look at, but for us to look through. So the gospel is the lens through which we see everything else. It's the narrative that shapes our lives. We've been working with this definition of the gospel for the last several weeks. The gospel or the good news is the story of how God has been at work in the world and is now redeeming it in Jesus Christ, who will one day return to bring the fullness of the kingdom So today we'll be exploring gospel living. What it really means to live in light of our Christian story. To look at all of life through the gospel. So I'd encourage you to pull out your Bible. If you have one with you, you can use one that's in the pew or if you have a Bible app on your phone. We're gonna be looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians today and and we're gonna be jumping around to a few different passages within that short letter in the New Testament. Uh, But in Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He's really wanting them to get this concept of living in light of the gospel. So we're gonna look today at various texts, but the structure is essentially structured this way. So in the first three chapters, chapters one through three of Ephesians, Paul's laying out the gospel story. He's reminding the church in Ephesus who they are in Christ, reminding them of their identity, Uh, of the redemption and forgiveness that they have through Christ. He's affirming God's purpose of salvation, which is to unite all things to Christ, things in heaven and on earth, to bring fullness in all things, to extend God's glory in the world. So he's trying to be sure that the church really knows and feels the gospel, He prays that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that Christ would dwell in their hearts because he really wants them to experience the gospel story and be changed by it. And then in in chapters four through six, the rest of the letter, Paul begins to outline what it looks like to live in light of the gospel narrative. So he highlights different areas of our lives, our, our relationships with one another within the church, our relationships with our neighbors, uh, our, our inner selves and our thoughts, our actions and the way we talk, our sexuality, the way we approach marriage and children. So he starts unpacking how this life-changing gospel story has implications for every part of our lives. So we'll look at a few sections here, and I think what we'll see is that gospel living, living in light of our Christian story, it's, it's first, it's rooted in our gospel identity And secondly, it's empowered by gospel grace. So let's unpack that this morning. Gospel living is rooted in our gospel identity. We'll start at the beginning of the letter, Ephesians chapter one, reading from verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, there's a lot in here, and today we don't have time to get into this complex, Topic of understanding God's sovereignty and predestination and our free will. Uh, That's, you know, that's a conversation that's baffled and intrigued scholars for centuries. Uh, But what we want to make sure we get and notice here from this passage is that it's outlining our gospel identity. So it's telling us that God, in His grace, through the work of Christ on our behalf, has defined us. Somehow, in the mystery of God's knowledge and love for us, he chose us. He wants us. In verse 14, later in this chapter, we're called God's possession. Just as God chose Israel in the Old Testament to be his special people, to reflect his glory to the nations around him, so now we are part of that chosen people, the holy, set-apart, special people. And that means that we can be secure in who we are because God chose us. We can be certain of God's love for us. It means that wherever you are right now, today, if you did absolutely nothing else in your lifetime, as one who is chosen by God, he will still love you and call you his own. Now that doesn't mean God wants us to stay where we are, right, we've talked about the fact that we're created in God's image yet broken and not as we should be. Verse four says that we're chosen in order to be holy and blameless. But this idea of being chosen means that we have assurance of God's presence with us and his work in our lives we won't be abandoned to figure out this life on our own. And this this isn't a pride thing, you know, it's not like we did anything to make God choose us. It, It says that we were chosen before the creation of the world. So that's before we could have even done anything to earn it, right? So we have no room to boast in this. It should actually lead us to a place of humility and gratitude because it's completely out of our comprehension as to why God would choose us, right? We probably can actually think of a lot of reasons why God shouldn't have chosen us. We're we're impatient, we're imperfect, we, we mess things up, we're prideful, inconsistent, but God simply chose us because of his love. He chose us because it's part of his purpose to work out his will, and for the praise of his glorious grace, as it says in verse six. And not only are we chosen, but we're adopted. We're adopted because of what Christ has done. Because Jesus paid the price for our sin and forgave us through his blood on the cross, we can now be part of God's family with the full privileges of being a natural born child. You know, have you thought much about the fact that Jesus is our brother? You know, we have the same privileges of, as Jesus in terms of our relationship with the Father, that freedom and access to the Father, the promise of eternal life. But are we living out of our identity as adopted children of God? I have friends, it's, it's a couple who was exploring adoption and particularly in a context overseas. I think they were looking at adopting a child from China. And so, as they were going through the process of learning about the challenges of adoption and some of the trauma that these children had faced and how that affects the way they act, they learned that one of the tendencies of children who are adopted from that context is to hoard food. So they come into their new family, and the family you know, opens the fridge and the pantry and says, here's all this food, you're welcome to it at any time, whenever you're hungry, take and eat whatever you need. But they would still find stashes of food in the child's room, because coming from that context, that background, uh, there was food scarcity and there was an uncertainty about where the next meal would come from or when they could eat again. And so even though in their new family, they were given this smorgasbord, the child was still living out of an orphan mindset. They weren't living in light of their adoption in that area. And we can do the same thing. When we lose sight of our God-given identity, and the fact that we are God's chosen children, we can become ungrateful and bitter, we can get cynical, We can start uh, tearing others down. We can be prideful and actually start to think that we did something to deserve this status from God. It can make us insecure or, or defensive. We might feel like we have to be right all the time because we lose sight of our security as God's chosen possession. We can get anxious and feel like we need to prove ourselves to gain the love of God and we can become performance oriented. We can get lonely and forget that we're part of a family, that we're actually wanted simply because of God's goodness and grace. So this manifests itself in a lot of different ways. But when we're living in light of our adoption, we have assurance that God is our Father. And we're learning to live not out of fear, but in partnership with God, and we know that we 're loved and accepted so we don 't have to work to prove our place and earn our status you know we don 't freak out if someone criticizes us because we know that 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 we 're loved by God. we can take risks and we can trust God and confess our failures even because we know that won 't change our relationship with God. It compels us to want to keep up the family name, so to speak, because You know, we, in response to what God has done for us, out of this place of joy and gratitude, we can say, yes, God, I want to make your name great. I want people to see how wonderful this family is and the beauty that I can say, I am yours and you are mine. We can extend that invitation to others to be part of this family. We don't feel the need to hoard what God has given us. You know, I've been processing this in my own life, and and some of you may know, or or may have started to figure out, that my husband and I are expecting our second child in March. So we're excited about that, and we're so thankful. (laughs) And of course, we're also thankful for our three-year-old son, Emmett, and we love him so much, and there's been these moments, you know, where I wonder, is it even possible to love another child as much as we love him? And and there's even sometimes this feeling of, is is another child going to kind of throw off the family dynamic a little bit? And But, you know, in those moments, I'm reminded that God is always seeking to extend his family. He has a posture of arms open, welcoming, inviting more to be part of his family. And so if we're operating out of God's love and grace toward us, that would then overflow into our love for both children. And of course, even even beyond our biological family into those around us. So I'm learning more how to operate out of my gospel identity as a child of God and, and how we can be that expression of the welcome and hospitality of the family of God that he's called us to be. So what does this look like for you? The gospel isn't just a set of beliefs or doctrines that are good for us to live by, but it actually defines us. The gospel story, you know, God's gracious work in creation, choosing us even before creation, this moment of the fall where we chose to go our own way, the redemption of Christ where he poured out his love for us and adopts us into the family, and his work to restore all things in him for the praise of his glory. This gospel story tells us who God is and who we are in light of him. So what are there areas in your life where you might be living out of that orphan mindset? And what might it look like to live a life that's rooted in your gospel identity? When we live in light of the gospel, in light of our Christian story, not only are we rooted in our gospel identity, but we're empowered by gospel grace. Paul goes on to say throughout his letter that the gospel story impacts how we live our lives. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then the beginning of chapter four, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now I used the ESV translation for these passages because I wanted you to see how this word walk shows up here. And actually there are several times in the verses following chapter four, verse one, in in the next couple chapters where Paul uses this word walk to unpack what it looks like. So in four, verse 17, he says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. uh, Chapter five, verse two, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Verse eight, walk as children of light. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So the gospel shapes how we walk, what we do, how we live our lives. You know, we've talked about how the gospel story is culminating in God's ultimate purpose to restore all things, to bring together heaven and earth, and to drive out hell, the sin and brokenness of our lives and world. So essentially what Paul is saying throughout his letter to the Ephesians is that we're invited into this gospel story. We're invited into God's plan of redemption and restoration. These good works we're called to do, the way we're called to walk, to live, and interact with the people around us, it's all so that we can participate in his work of restoration. And, you know, I don't want to get too caught up in, exactly what the good works are. You know, what what does that mean specifically that I should be doing in my life? I think we can get too bogged down with that. But just think about where God has you. You know, who's around you. you? What do you do? Where do you work? Where do you go? Where has God placed you? And what do you think God wants your heart and attitude and actions to be in those spaces and with those people? Another piece of this is that we have to recognize here that Paul isn't saying that once you accept the gospel, then you can just kind of live like you want and it'll all work itself out and you don't really need the gospel anymore. No, we constantly need the gospel, not only because it defines us and establishes our identity, as we've talked about, but it gives us the power to live in a way that is pleasing to God. It enables us to walk in that manner worthy of the calling that we are called to. It's that power that enables us to be part of God's purposes. See, the gospel isn't just good advice about something we should do and how we should live our life. It's good news about what God has already done for us in Christ and how we get to live in response to that. This isn't something we do in our own power. It's not some ability we muster up from inside ourselves, but it's the power of God in us. And this is why two times in Ephesians, Paul prays that the church would know and experience this power. Uh, In chapter one, Paul has this prayer starting in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Remember that adoption idea? This is incredible. This is saying that the power in us, in those who have put their faith in Christ, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And and didn't just raise Jesus to this life where he would eventually die again, but raised him, ascended him to an altogether new life, to a place where he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, to a place where he's reigning over all things and overseeing the defeat of his enemies. God is working out his power according to his will. And let's also look at what Paul prays in Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being So the gospel, what God has done for us in Christ, is the power that helps us to understand our sin and our need for God. It helps us to understand God's grace. It's the power that enables us to live in light of the love of Christ. It's the power for change. It's the power to resist temptation. It's the power we need for prayer and for boldness in, in mission and sharing our faith. It's an incredible power that we have in us when we put our faith in Christ. But again, we kind of forget this power. We tend to go through life, you know, thinking, okay, yes, God, I know the gospel. I, I thank you for your sacrifice for forgiving my sins through Christ on the cross but we kind of can say, well, but I'm just gonna go ahead and kind of live my life now in my own strength. Just gonna keep trying really hard to do good. And we forget the power of the resurrection and ascension, the power that God can bring life from death. Are there places in your life that you feel are dead? Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you're tired of functioning from this place of kind of self-energy and, and you're just doing some good things but just getting really weary. Maybe you've tried for a long time to conquer a certain vice in your life. You know, maybe there's some kind of recurring sin that just keeps rearing its ugly head and and you've been maybe hiding it or trying to deal with it on your own or if you're honest with yourself, maybe you're not even really dealing with it at all anymore. Maybe there's a relationship that's broken and just feels like there's no possibility for restoration. You know, you've been trying, you've been praying, and it's just not working out. Maybe you have a place in your life where you're feeling hopeless. It's, things aren't going the way you planned, and you're just getting frustrated. it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Maybe you're feeling anxious. There's, we're in the midst of a pandemic. you know maybe there's stuff in our society in the political situation or something else that you're just feeling overwhelmed by. Maybe you're in a place of despair, depression struggling with motivation, maybe even motivation to reach out, to love your neighbors, to engage in acts of service toward those around you. Whatever it is, wherever you see that dead place, God has the power to bring life. And you know, it's true that this doesn't always mean that things will be restored in the way that we want to or or even in this life. But it does mean That the power of God is within us to trust Him, to know His love for us, to surrender our will for His, to know that He is working out His purposes for ultimate restoration. He's overseeing the defeat of the enemy. God does have good works for us, and he's given us the power to be agents of restoration. He gives us the ability to live for him as children with, his children with joy and freedom, and he gives us the confidence that one day he will bring all things together under Christ. I'd love to take time this morning just to go through a bunch of different areas of our lives and, and show you know, both individually and as a community of faith what it looks like to live in light of the gospel. And unfortunately we don't have time to go through a lot of that. But I just want you to recognize that this has implications on every part of our lives. Our lives. It has implications on the way we approach our relationships, our, our sexuality, the way we approach suffering and discouragement, the way we engage with our family, our neighbors, the way we enter the public square, the way we approach guilt and self-image and even humor, uh, the way corporately that we worship and minister to the world and the way we interact with the poor and, and approach social change and literally every crevice of our lives, both the hidden and the visible. Remember, the gospel is this lens through which we look at all of life. If you want to read more in Ephesians this week about uh, how Paul starts to show what this looks like in different areas of life, I encourage you to do that. Or of course, if there's anything pressing on your heart that you want to talk with me or any of our other pastors about, we'd love to meet with you and, and pray with you about how the gospel shines light in that area of your life. But I think this final story is gonna help us to get a sense of what it means to look at life through the lens of the gospel. Many of you know our dear brother in Christ, Tim Line, sitting up front here. He was playing the bass today. He's also our facilities manager. And some of you might know a bit of his story and he gave me permission to share a a little bit of it with you this morning. Tim's oldest son Daniel was born with some respiratory issues, he was in and out of the hospital a ton as a kid, he had some surgeries, he had hard uh, effects from medications, just all kinds of trials, allergy studies, just all kinds of stuff uh, in his young life. And there was around 12 years old, he was also on top of that diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and so, he just had constant health challenges. And there was this particular incident that happened when Dan was about 12 years old. Tim and Dan and their other, his other son, Ethan, had just gotten home from a trip to Philadelphia, and that in itself was, was a long day. They were there uh, for a difficult uh, other situation in their family that was just really hard. And, and because of that and all that was going on with Dan's health, just this whole season of life was, it was exhausting. So they had gotten home from this trip and Dan went into a diabetic seizure. And eventually he stopped breathing. And Tim had to give him CPR. His younger son, Ethan, had to call 911, he had to give Dan a shot of insulin, and eventually he was able to breathe again. But when Tim was at the hospital with Dan after this event, he shared with me that he was just in this place of really feeling angry with God, and you can imagine why. You know, he was thinking about all that his son had dealt with in his young life, family issues and health issues. And, and Tim was just thinking about his son, how he'd just kind of gone through the ringer and had this thought toward God, you know, why, why pick on him? You know, why not me? Why not someone else? Why him? Just angry at God. And Tim said that in the midst of his anger, he felt the love and compassion of God God, in his gentleness, said what what Tim felt like God was saying to him was that because of his love, God's love toward humanity, he had to turn his back on his own son and let him die so that we could live. And this wasn't some uh, sense of God saying, oh, now, you shouldn't be so upset. Look at what I had to do. But it was this kindness and mercy of God that was encountering Tim where he was. Tim said he got this overwhelming sense that God was with him and Daniel in their suffering. Tim had an encounter with God's grace in that moment, and he understood the gospel better. He said that going forward, and this is a quote, he said, it changed our baseline. This changed the way that they looked at life. He said he saw how quickly things can fall apart and evil truly can manifest itself, but also how quickly God, in his grace and kindness, extends his love and meets us in our need He provided people around them to support them. He overcame evil with his power. He said this encounter with grace has helped them to look differently at other people. And if you know Tim at all, you know this is true. To see other people with compassion, to extend uh, reach to those that tend to be on the fringes of society, to welcome others in, to see Jesus in them, It's affected the way they spend their time and the decisions they make in life. And they've seen and experienced the God who pursues them. The God who is working to restore all things according to his will. This is an incredible picture of a life empowered by gospel grace. The life of some who recognize that they are deeply loved by the Father and empowered to live in a way that participates in God's work of renewal. So my question for you today is what lens, through what lens are you looking at life? You know, maybe you're still exploring the gospel story. You're still trying to grasp God's work in creation and the fall, redemption, restoration. Maybe you're in a place where you've heard the gospel and, and you know the gospel story, but you haven't really encountered God's grace in a significant way. And not necessarily to say that it has to be in such, such a significant event that I just shared, but, but you haven't the gospel story hasn't become real to you, or maybe you don't even really think it's for you it hasn't become life-giving to you. Maybe you struggle to believe your gospel identity, or you struggle to operate from a place of security and confidence in God's love for you as his child, as part of his family. Maybe you haven't experienced that power we're talking about, that you're trying to live life by your own strength. Maybe you're trying to just kind of hold things together and you're feeling worn out. My encouragement for you today is to, to pray into that. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Share with God what's on your heart and see if he'll meet you in your need. and Meet you with his grace. And another helpful piece of this is is to read scripture. You know, the more we read of God's work throughout the Old Testament and into the new, the more we grasp God's grace and his commitment to his people. And if you're not exactly sure where to start with that, please reach out. I'd be glad to talk with you about, you know, a, a Bible reading plan that might work for you or help you stay on track. But if we can read more about this gospel story, it gets more into our hearts through that. And ask others about their story. You know, we're not in this life alone. Sometimes we need others to lift us up and remind us of what's true about God and what's true about us. So talk with someone else and ask them how God has met them with his grace. Maybe you're someone who's really been experiencing God's grace and rediscovering the beauty of the gospel in your life, and and you're seeking to live in light of that, And, and I just want to encourage you to keep pressing into that, press into your relationship with God. You know, we know there's going to be times of trial and doubt and hardship, but in this season, thank God for where you are and continue praying that he would fill you with his power to participate in his work. And share your story. You know, tell others about how God is working in your life. We certainly need to hear more of that good news. The good news of the gospel is that we are God's chosen and adopted children, empowered by him to do good works which contribute to his ultimate plan of restoration. Every part of our lives can be transformed by the gospel and can serve God's glorious purposes. And when this happens among us together in community, you know, when many of us are experiencing this transformation and seeking to live as as people to pursue being part of God's restoration, that is an incredible testimony to the people around us we not only can live with that joy, but others can see and experience that as well. Let's pray. God, we pray that your spirit would meet us now. We know that you are here. We know that you are working. You have been. You will continue to work in our lives and in the world, and we want to be part of that. God, I pray for those who are struggling to see themselves as your children, struggling to know the love that you have for them. I pray, Lord, that you would soften their hearts. God, help them to know through the gospel story that you loved us in such a way that you turned your back on your son so that we can have life. And God, for those struggling to remember the power that we have in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the resurrection and the ascension. Help us to see Jesus in that place at the right hand of God and to know that we have that same privilege of relationship with you. Pray that you would empower us as we face, you know, the struggles of life as we leave this place and and kind of go back to reality. Lord, remind us of your power in our hearts, of your work in us. Help us not to revert back to that way of trying to do things in our own strength, but help us to lean into your power and just. Uh, allow you to bring life in those dark places. God, bring renewal, bring life here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.